Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus. My name is Veronica Mahwadi, your voice of law for the evening, right here on VAFM 88.1. So Mental Health Awareness Month is celebrated each October every year. And the purpose of this month is to raise awareness by not only educating the public about mental health, but also just to reduce the stigma and the discrimination that people with mental illness are often subjected to. So tonight on Law Focus, we will be unpacking mental health and the law. What law protects mental health patients? What more do we need to do as a country to equip mental health users? And of course, we cannot discuss mental health without taking a look at our higher institutions of learning, as many young people are suffering from this silent killer. We'll be talking to psychiatrist Dr. Steve Mulefe, the South African Federation for Mental Health, and of course, the Witz Law Student Council. Of course, this wouldn't be a conversation without your Input. And if you wish to join the conversation, you can send us a tweet at VOWFM using the hashtag LawFocus. You can also send us a voice note on our WhatsApp line. That's 084-078-4912. Do stay tuned for the upcoming discussion. But before we get into that, let's start the show with the hottest legal stories of the week. Here are your legal hotspots for the evening. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week. It's Legal Hotspots. I'm joined in studio by one of our researchers for Low Focus, Millicent Indiweni. She'll be giving us our legal hotspots for this evening. What do you have for us, Millicent? So in the first, first story, we've got the revised expropriation bill, which is expected to be released for public comments. So we know over the past few years in South Africa, there's been very overt discussions about the land which should be expropriated. This conversation obviously cannot be held in isolation from the reality of colonialism and apartheid and um, the disposition of the land from black people. Now, the previous expropriation bill, which was tabled in 2016, did not speak to expropriation without compensation, which is why this new revised expropriation bill is important. Now, Section 25 of the South African Constitution, which is the property clause, speaks to um, the fact that land expropriation without compensation is not something that is possible. It's a very tight clause. Um, It's very clear in Section 25, subsection 2, paragraph A and B, that expropriation has to be in the public interest. And secondly, um, expropriation is subject to compensation. So without any compensation, there cannot be expropriation um, because it is a fundamental transactional requirement to it. Otherwise, the expropriation would be unlawful. Mm. And then we've got Section 36, Subsection 1 of the Constitution again, which is our limitation clause. What the limitation clause speaks to is the fact that the rights that we have in our Bill of Rights can be limited in what is termed as the law of general application. Now, Section 25, which is our property clause, states that only that, that one can only be deprived of their property under a law of general application. So, Section 36 gives effect to expropriation by outlining the circumstances under which a law of general application can actually be applicable, such as with the property clause. Mm, mm, mm. Now, to apply this, the understanding and interpretation and revising of the sections noted above is very important. 
all sectors of our society need to be assured that the constitution is not going to be ripped apart because of the whole land must be expropriated. Um, and the proposed bill is meant to reflect the constitutional review processes which are still taking place. And the intention of the bill should show that expropriation will be conducted in a manner that is both just and equitable. So the bill, essentially the revised expropriation bill, gives guidelines and pro- processes for expropriating without compensation. Very good. And uh, the next story? So in our second story, wow, we've got a story here from um, the, the, this, 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 these two people, appellants, who... Um, have been charged by SARS um, under gross negligence for not paying their taxes. They did not return taxes from about 2006 to about 2013, respectively. Mm. And SARS took note of this and they there was a tax audit. Are these that, two people in the public eye? No, these okay. are not people that are, <laughs> are known to the public. Okay. Um, but basically, um, they were charged with a penalty of 100%. Mm, now, what this hectic. means, yeah, it is quite hectic. The Tax Administration Act is the one that governs the administration of taxes in South Africa. And Section 221 of that Act explains what is termed as an understatement penalty, which briefly is any prejudice to SARS or to the fiscus. And Section 223 of the same act then elaborates on the different amounts for each penalty, which is outlined in the act. Mm. Now, in line with the Tax Administration Act, if a taxpayer omits to pay their taxes because they did not take reasonable care, Mm. they would be liable to a penalty of 25%. And if they did not pay because of gross negligence, they would then be liable to a penalty of 100%. Now, the Commission of SARS argued that these two should be penalized 100%, mm. which is for gross negligence. Obviously, their parents are not happy and they feel, no, uh, we should actually be penalized for an act of um, not taking reasonable care, which means that they would only have to pay 25%, 25% right? Yeah. The court, unfortunately for them, rejected their submissions, finding that SARS did indeed manage to establish a prima facie case against them for gross negligence, which they failed to prove. Otherwise, and as was required by SARS, they are liable to pay a penalty fee of 100%, which means that they have to essentially pay everything that they have owed since 2006. Oh, that is so hectic, Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. taxes. And what's in the third story for us? Now, third story, we've got a very sad story. Remember during the TUT SRC election processes? Yes. There was those violent eruptions that broke out Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of allegations of cheating Mm -hmm. in the SRC elections, and it resulted in the death of a student. Yes. on the 26th of August 2018 by two police officers. Now, according to Section 11 of the Constitution, his right to life, Section 10, his right to digni- dignity, mm. Section 12, his right to freedom and security of the person were all denied to him on the day that he was killed. Of course. And Section 49 now of the Criminal Procedure Act speaks to the use of force by police in an arrest, mm. which is odd in that when the police went to Shoshankuve North Campus on the 26th of August, it was not to arrest any student. It was, it was to rather for riot, calm. Yeah, riot exactly, control. Exactly. Mm. Which means deadly force, which is defined in Section 49 of the Criminal Procedure Act, was not necessary at all. And, and Does the deadly force also include the, the presence of arms? 
It does. Okay. Um, and it's also not limited to shooting at a suspect. So mm. it says that they shot down at the ground. That could ha- that could actually be deadly deadly force. Of course, because it- the bullet could then obviously bounce. You off know what I mean. Although it was not necessary in this section because this was not a, an arrest, and what uh, what what was what was supposed to happen? The police was supposed to go there under the Gatherings Act, which um, of which Section Nine says it's meant to disperse crowds, and Section Nine, Subsection Two, Paragraph B of this Act is clear that any use of weapons that are likely to cause bodily harm or injury should be avoided. Now remember Marikana. Mm. The police the police brutality was very rife and the commission's report the Marikana commission report in 2015 found that any use of the R5 mm. or automatic rifle cannot be defended. The word that is used is actually untenable. And in the murder of Katleho, sadly, R5 rifles were used even though two witnesses from the police force testified at the Marikana commission in 2015 that R5 rifles were suggested to be immediately removed from all public order policing operations. This is very intense. I know, it's, it's extremely intense. The R5 can never be permitted to in public order policing. Mm. I put, confirmed earlier today, that the arrest of two policemen following the murder of Katle Homonareng was um was taken place and the two policemen appeared in the Shoshankove magistrate court earlier today and guess what they were granted bail hectic i think our country is more than anything failing to protect us the justice system absolutely well, i don't know if it's the justice system or if as it's, such. The, it's, if it's the police perhaps or if maybe. it's the police perhaps mm. or and in your final story well as of the first of October, of november the first of november 2018 Advocates and attorneys will not be regulated by the Legal Practice Council. This is in accordance with the Legal Practice Amendment Act, which came into effect on the 18th of January 2018. So instead of having different law societies, which we had previously, there is now only one body that will regulate legal practitioners. And as we celebrate some of the milestones in the transformation of the legal practice in South Africa, we should also be concerned about the paralegal community, which is not, interestingly enough, regulated, accredited, nor officially recognized, as are all other legal professions. And due to these struggles and the fact that paralegals were removed from the Legal Practice Act, there is an important event by the Paralegal Association of South Africa on the 3rd of November 2018 in Constitution Hill. Take a listen to this. My name is Nanandi. I am the co-founder and the visionary of PALSA, Paralegal Association of South Africa. We are hosting the first ever paralegal conference to take place in South Africa on the 3rd of November at Constitutional Hill, which we think is very, very fitting, in the Winnie Mani Dikizela cell, which we feel is even more fitting. The point of the conference is to start bringing an awareness and a togetherness for all paralegals, be they employed, be they independent, be they community-based paralegals, to start coming together under one umbrella into one place so that together we can go forward and, and, and forward start striving towards a recognized and regulated space and place for paralegals. Also, there is a vast misunderstanding about what a paralegal is, what they do, what they're qualified for, how they can qualify, 
what is the difference between all the paralegals, which are subjects that we will be covering in the conference. This is the first conference. There will also then be one in Durban, East London, PE afterwards, eventually Cape Town as well, which is where I am based. And we will then in between be doing short seminars and workshops on a regular basis with organizations, groups, NPOs, law firms or various of places that are making contact with us in order to be able to do this. If you have any questions or queries, please get hold of me on 076-782-996. This is going to be history in the making. If you are aspiring to the legal profession, this may be an informative and rewarding program for you to attend. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree with that. Thank you so much, Millicent, for our legal hotspots for this week. Thank you. Let's continue with the show as we discuss mental health. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the top of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Mental illness is real and it has a significant negative social and economic impact on South African society. The World Health Organization estimates that nearly two-thirds of people with a known mental disorder never seek help from a health professional, although treatment is available in many cases. Now, according to a survey that was in the Sunday Times, 16.5% of South Africans' adult population suffered from some or other form of mental health disorder. In fact, more than 17 million people in South Africa are dealing with depression, substance abuse, anxiety, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Now the issue we face as a country when it comes to mental illness is mainly stigma, discrimination and ignorance. But it does not stop there. Mental health care is underfunded and under-resourced. There are not enough trained mental health professionals in our country. In fact, in 2010, South Africa had a 1.58 psychosocial providers for every 1,000 people. Let that sink in. That's 1.58 psychosocial providers for every 100,000 people. I mean, we are faced with an issue of poverty and accessibility because, you know, when it comes to public mental health care services, it's just not accessible to the country's most vulnerable population. As a country, of course, we cannot forget the headline that rocked our nation where 94 people died with mental disorders after they were moved from the Life Isidemeni Hospital and placed in inadequate services. If this grim picture and these statistics are not indicators of how severe our mental health knowledge and support is as a country, then perhaps maybe your opinions on this topic can shed a little bit more light. This is what you had to say when we asked you about mental health illness. I don't think the, the government is taking much when it comes to mental health because I was once, I tried to do something and then I end up supposed to see him, a psychologist and they don't give you like there and there to come to see the psychologist. You have to take a time period and the, there's a long queue of people waiting as well. So I don't think they put much emphasis when it comes to mental health. Because even if you get to see the person, you don't get to see the person regularly. You have to come like probably once a month or two times a month. And you give up when you just keep on going in that way. Um, the South African government overlooks it because as black people, we think that mental health issues are for like white people. So not, nothing is really um, done when it comes to that. I feel like white people have more access to it than us black people do, especially like in public hospitals and all of those things. Okay, um, I think the government is taking this, um, this issue seriously because, you know, you do find some mental health facilities here in South Africa. Um, it's only, you know, um, is, it last, is it this year when, when people got lost and 
the patients were scattered. That's when you know that makes you question if they are. But um, yeah, if I'm just considering how you know if we have facilities and you know help from you know specialists who can deal with mental health, I, I'd say yes, the government does take it seriously. I don't think so. I don't think they're taking care of mental health because I heard about the people who've been to um, CCDU. I don't think enough funding is put into mental health. I've heard people going to CCDU and saying that it hasn't been helpful for them and they feel like there aren't enough resources for people to feel to go in there and get out and feeling a weight lifted off their shoulder. So I feel like in terms of support and funding, financial support, uh, mental health is not being taken care of. I feel like they should invest in professional therapists, like pay them and put them and put um, and make them available to students, professional therapists, so that if you can't afford um, um, to go to a therapist, you can go to CCDU and they shouldn't be limited therapists. Like if you want a one-on-one, -on -one, it should be readily available when you make an appointment. I feel like um, not not really. They're not, they're not really taking that initiative. Well, I don't know much about I'm a facility with mental health like South Africa. I don't know much about it. I haven't heard much about places that actually treat mental health Lamzanzi, to be honest. Yeah, man, that's basically it. I don't think they're doing enough about it. I don't think we know enough about mental health as young people. Yeah, well. And, and it's, it's, I feel like it's important for us to, to actually be out there and know about this type of, type of stuff. Yeah, well. I feel like the government just neglects people with mental issues. They, they're not a priority. They don't have the funds for them. They, yeah, basically. I don't think that they are as well taken care of as this person. I don't think the government is taking mental health issues seriously. Because, I mean, uh, we, we see we lack of facilities that uh, who are mentally ill. Plus, any issue is access, you understand? So only the elite or middle class have e e e access to e e mental health facilities, you understand? Even with those facilities, as in as in means, those people who are meant to deal with the mental illness are not trained enough to deal with that, with Illinois' mental illness. And two, we should not limit Illinois' e to mental health, uh, mental health issues to in our CCTU or a psychologist and whatnot. We should also train professionals like lecturers, teachers and lecturers on how to deal with these students as who are suffering from mental health issues. I don't think they do take it seriously. Uh, especially we black people, we normally don't believe in that. Especially maybe I can say there's therapists, uh, psychologists. We don't take them seriously, to be honest. It's just a thing in general. I think it's the notion that we do pe black people have, that it's for white people and all that. Then we ourselves can deal with our own issues and we don't want to confide in other people. No focus. Point, point of information. On the line, I am joined by psychiatrist from More Life Health Associates, Dr. Steve Mulefe. Good day, Dr. Mulefe. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, how are you? I'm great. Uh, to you and your business. Yes, that's correct. Thank you so much for joining us here on Law Focus. Uh, let's get straight into it. What is mental health and how do we classify mental health in South Africa? All right. Mental health 
uh, as defined by the World Health Association, is a state um, of uh, being in not only your physical self, but in your state of thinking and feeling as well as behavior. And the absence of that then leads to mental ill health, and it is usually associated with psychological factors and social factors, and once in a while, what you call physical factors. So that is mental ill health. And then what, how to classify it? Well, internationally, there are a couple of diagnostic manuals. These are like the books that we refer to for the purpose of making a diagnosis. But the one that we use often in South Africa is something called a diagnostic and a statistical manual. And currently we're using a number five. So it's short, uh, in short, it's called a DSM. But there's another one called an ICD-10 or 11. So broadly speaking, these illnesses can be divided into mood disorders, hmm. like mood problems, and then under mood, your mood can either be too elevated or a bit down, as in a down in the dump. So it either goes north or goes south. And if it's high up, it's called mania, which is a time called bipolar, which is what the listeners can be used to bipolar, which mm. means you sometimes move from two poles. And the other end is when you go down south, your mood is down, and then that is called depression. So that is just under mood disorders. But then there are a plethora of other disorders, like psychotic disorders, where you lose touch with reality, personality disorders, which is one's character or traits, and substance use disorders, which is, again, something that we use to substance abuse or misuse, leading to addiction or dependency. And there's anxiety disorders where people become excessively anxious and worried, sometimes having specific phobias, and the list just goes on until even the elderly who are forgetful and dementing and mm. having behavioral problems. Mm. Yeah. So I want to know from you, Doc, what are the more predominant mental health issues that South Africans face? Oh, I, we'll divide them to two in the sense that those that we see who visit our rooms and on outpatient basis are stable and fine, but because of the psychosocial stressors, predominantly they come with severe depression hmm. or what sometimes people call stress. And a couple of them, a very significant number, will come with anxiety problems when they've got to perform specific issues or when they've got to interact uh, the society at large and they are very fearful of social spaces and social interactions or after they've been victims to, as we know in South Africa, crime and robberies and hijackings are very high. Now, victims of such sexual assault as we've seen recently on television with the cases that are on trial, then we suffer from either an acute reaction to that stressor or a post-traumatic stress disorder, or challenges with adjusting to such stressors. So that is one group that we see on outpatient basis. Hmm. But then for those who are so severe to the extent of needing hospitalization, these are people with behavioral problems 
who are psychotic, sometimes who are taking a bit too much on substances. So the group can be divided into that, broadly speaking. Mm. Psychotic, depressed, anxious, and substances. And I... I I mean, this becomes a very interesting conversation when we talk about that because, I mean, we're coming from an institution here at Wits University and we see a lot of students dealing with exactly these um, different mental uh, illnesses that you've mentioned, severe depression, anxiety. It is very, very common. So I want to know, looking at our environment, perhaps maybe even our history and our culture and our way of life of as South Africans, how do these factors then contribute to these uh, specific um, mental health illness issues that you've just mentioned? Yeah, so looking at the causality or the risk factors, uh, in psychiatry, the thinking is that you can be born with a vulnerability to having a mental illness, or added to that, some environmental factors will will be at play exactly as you pointed out like childhood challenges and then as you grow older uh, you experience challenges in relationships breaking up death disappointment staggery and then as you get older challenges after you've actually left institutions of higher learning unemployment and then a victim of crime and marital problems, and the list just goes on. But in essence, you have to have a vulnerability at times, which will be acted upon by another environmental stressor, ranging from a diagnosis of a chronic illness, hypertension, diabetes, HIV, TB, to accidents, head trauma, or anything of that sort, to cerebrovascular accidents where you either have a blade inside your head or there's not insufficient blood going through your head, and other infections. So cancers, as you know, that October is Mental Health Awareness Month as well as awareness to cancers. Mm. If you have it growing, especially in your brain, you could have that. So with regards to what teenagers or young adults face in tertiary institutions, we have seen over the past couple of months people, especially females, being victims to sexual assault, challenges with school fees, fees must force, riots and violence, even dating back to pre-democratic years where riots and violence and uh, demonstrations and... uh, shootings and killings, so all these things predispose to mental ill health. Hmm. And, and just as we continue the conversation, what are you know the stereotypes attached to mental health? Oh, that is very actually uh, uh, right, you know. Hmm. Is there from uh, stigma, discrimination, being seen as an outcast. But what I want to tell the listeners is that at times, as community at large, we distance ourselves to mental ill health and we have got these negative, uh, stereotypical ways of thinking about mental ill health to the extent that when we are we either then deny that we've got depression or 
significant stress and you need help from a psychologist or a shrink. And then to the extent that we then delay in coming forward. But other than that, if we hear of someone who has got it, and I must assure you, one in three people will either suffer from mental ill health mm. or they know someone who does. And it would then help if you can just fight the stigma, fight the discrimination and the prejudice that goes with it, and appreciate that just like cancer, just like diabetes, just like hypertension, these are illnesses that can be diagnosed and treated effectively or to the extent that someone can go back to contributing meaningfully in the general society, at school, or in the home environment. So it must start with us, and then we extend it to the outside world, and we join forces in fighting the stigma. Otherwise, the stigma will be there, and people will present to other healers, like spiritual healers, mm. traditional healers, mm. and delay the process of coming forward, which worsens the whole prognosis. Let's actually dig into that a little bit more. You know, like you said, there is a stigma around mental health and it sees no color, it sees no age or gender or class, but it is still highly misunderstood and extremely stigmatized predominantly in the black community. Why is that? Well, it is because of, I think, lack of knowledge and having there been fewer uh, mental health practitioners to actually spread the word and teach the masses out there, which is why we value opportunities like these where people will be made aware of illnesses, but the honors is upon each and every member of the society to read around it so that they get enlightened and then they can understand that we need to dispel the myths around it. In the absence of clarity, then people come with their own explanations and, the, and confuse the picture even more and send people from pillar to post for help, as I've said, from spiritual healers to traditional healers, and the whole thing just complicates. So I think it's a matter of ignorance or misunderstanding. I mean, there's a lot of talk about uh, the access to help and support when it comes to mental health. I mean, we're talking from psychiatrists such as yourself, even psychologists, as well as hospitals, even just to check in. What do you say about this? Well, the truth of the matter is that the resources are scarce and historically so as well. That is a contributing factor. Uh, What has happened, what used to happen was that uh, such services used to run parallel to what used to be called general service of health institutions. From a primary health care level to tertiary level, you'd find that a hospital would be developed with all the other services from your general surgery to your internal medicine, family medicine, and psychiatry and, psychi- and mental health care practitioners will be isolated and put right at the corner of the hospital or somewhere far because mental health users, patients, were understood to be violent and aggressive and had to be separated from the general masses. Mm, Now, with all that, that, sorry? Oh, sorry, please continue. So with all that, then there were fewer resources and not so many people were trained into being practitioners 
and the list goes on. So with all that having happened, it's only now that we're trying to play catch-up, and yet the risk factors are a bit too much, and more people are getting affected or being diagnosed with mental illnesses, especially substance-related kind of diseases or disorders. And because of the scarcity of the scale, you find that people then don't know much about us or can't access us, and then they find other ways of trying to cope, which is, as we started by saying, all this is contributing to the stigma and the misunderstanding. Hmm. And, you know, you mentioned something which is quite a sensitive subject when it comes to the handling of mental health um, users. Does that also date back to the fact of, you know, there's lack of infrastructure and support within government institutions, that there is such a, an ill treatment of uh, these patients and users? Yeah, it has been out there in the media. Um, what we say and understand is that mental healthcare users or patients are a special group, just like minors, the elderly, uh, pregnant women. Mental healthcare users are a special group in the sense that uh, they not often do they stand up for their rights. You know, it's not uncommon for them to be doing that. So they need someone else to advocate for their rights as patients. And then in the absence of science, you know, they are not really handled with care and they are denied of some of the services or they are actually ill-treated sometimes in their rights violated. And obviously we in South Africa have had our fair share of that and have been in the media and I hope this has been and I open up to the powers that be to address the challenges. But um, even in the absence of significant interventions from government, charity must begin at home. Let's bring it back home and find out how do you treat your brother, your sister, aunt or uncle, mm. uh, the elderly, who those who are affected and who are living with mental health. And let's make sure that we, you know, make sure that we protect their rights as a shrine in all the legislative framework before we point fingers at government. Absolutely. You did mention we are celebrating Mental Health Month every year in October. I mean, when it comes to awareness of mental health, in your opinion, is enough being done? Definitely not. Um, you know, I think mental health needs attention like how in the early 90s, HIV and AIDS-related methods were attended to which obviously needs budget and funding. So, you know, from provincial to national, if government, uh, you know, can sort of put some money aside and make sure that, you know, there is a rollout of awareness programs and, uh, you know, campaigns. And we understand that there is a a significant number of people who are anti mental health or mental illnesses. And they believe there is nothing like this, you know, which itself is strange because you never find, or at least according to my understanding, people saying, you know, they should be anti-cardiologists, they are anti-obstetricians and gynecologists because there are no such illnesses or diseases. But, well, with mental illness, there are people who are campaigning against us, which again 
confuses the whole thing mm. to someone out there who, who doesn't know whether this thing is real, does it exist or not. So, but we can be able to explain to these people or face them head on if we had resources and money and then uh, we can get to, you know, those who are in the periphery of uh, uh, the, this country and, and make them aware and then bring them to speed with what is happening and then referrals to hospitals for early interventions and good outcomes with regard to treatment. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Steve Muller, for just for your time and, you know, just for shedding light on a very, very serious subject here in our country. No, thank you for the opportunity and goodbye to the listeners that stay healthy. That was Dr. Steve Mulefe from More Life Health Associates. He is a psychiatrist and he has called on us to sort of take mental health issues back home, bring it back home, see how we are treating the loved ones around us. Are we paying attention to their needs? Are we talking to them? Are we having conversations? And he also mentioned that mental health users need people who can advocate for their rights. Coming after this, we will be talking to the South African Foundation for Mental Health about this issue, in fact, where it comes to who is looking after the rights of mental health users. Join the conversation on Twitter, which is at VowFM, or you can use the hashtag LawFocus. Listening to LawFocus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus, handing you your rights. South Africa has a history of being unkind to its vulnerable population. This includes those who have mental disorders. In terms of policy, the situation in our country has improved quite a bit in the last decade. We now have more policies in place to take care of people with a mental health condition. These include the National Mental Health Policy Framework and Strategic Plan, and of course, the Mental Health Care Act of 2002. Now, these policies aim to ensure that people with disabilities enjoy the same rights as their fellow citizens and that all citizens and institutions share equal responsibility for building such a society. At the forefront of ensuring that Mental Health Care Act is being implemented correctly is the South African Federation for Mental Health. We know that policies are not good enough, especially if they're not being enforced and if there is no accountability. That is why the Federation for Mental Health aims to advocate, promote and protect the rights of mental health users. We are speaking to Nicole O'Brien from the South African Federation for Mental Health. Nicole, welcome to Law Focus. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time uh, just to have this interview with us. Let's get straight into it. What is the South African Federation for Mental Health? The South African Federation for Mental Health is an NGO seeking to protect and uphold the rights of people with mental illness, psychosocial disability and intellectual disability. And I mean, right now we are celebrating Mental Health uh, Month in October. And what kind of impact and awareness does the South African Federation for Mental Health do within this month? Well, we aim to facilitate dialogue and, like you say, to raise awareness. Um, after activities that we have held, we've had a policy dialogue launched a study, um, put up press releases and um, opinion pieces. Mm. And in your opinion, what is the state of mental health in South Africa? Um, the state of mental health in South Africa is somewhat dire. Mental health is chronically underprioritized, and not enough attention is being paid to the provision of integral services to people so situated. 
And what kind of the challenges do we face as a country when it comes to mental health? Uh, the, the challenges are numerous. Um, first of all, uh, like I've said, it's under prioritized and there's not enough funding allocated to it. But something that's very important is that um, even though we have a constitution and a very comprehensive Bill of Rights, stigma is still rife amongst um, society, which leads to exclusion of people with mental illness, psychosocial disability, and intellectual disability. Such individuals can successfully hold down jobs and have positive family relationships, but yet they're written off and treated like second-class citizens Mm. as a result of people simply not knowing and understanding their needs. And, I mean, how does this then violate the rights that that, that protect mental health users? Well, um, first of all, um, people with uh, mental health issues struggle to access basic services, so um, education, health care, etc., But also, um, if you look at rights like the rights to dignity and equality, you know, you're not living a dignified life if um, you um, are stigmatized or if you can't access um, basic entitlements, basic socioeconomic entitlements, Mm -hmm. if it's perceived that you can't work or that you can't have successful relationships and so on. Mm. So let's get a little bit more into the law side of mental health. Uh, there is an act, uh, the, the, the Mental Health Act of 2002. Can you tell us what it entails? Yes, so that's the Mental Health Care Act, actually. So this um, is a rights-based piece of legislation. Um, it um, seeks to um, create a framework surrounding mental health in South Africa and the various um, areas within the system that a person has to navigate through um, when they are mentally ill. Um, It provides for um, aspects such as um, 72 hour holds um, in the case of involuntary admissions, um, um, things like uh, mental health review boards or um, involvement of the police in involuntary admissions and and so on. Overall, um, what it does is it brings mental health in line with the Constitution. Mm, mm. And how is it different from the previous Act of 1973? Well, it's more rights-based and it um, encourages primary health care or community care-level mental health. Um, It's more about, um, like I said, um, rights, so rehabilitation, for instance, rather than controlling people with mental illnesses. Hmm. We know that there is an organization called the World Health Organization, and we know that they have set up some sort of basic principles that, of course, encouraged uh, the amendment of this act. You know, what does, what does the World Health Organization have to say when it comes to health care law? Um, the um, World Health Organization seeks um, to promote things like the Sustainable Development Goals and um, also to ensure that what is known as a recovery model is um, followed. So recovery model involves more than simply warehousing people with um, mental illness, psychosocial disability, and intellectual disability in institutions, but rather promotes integration into communities where people can become acceptable and responsible and productive members of a society. Hmm. 
I like that. I like the fact that it aims to really include uh, these mental health users into society. The act also just seems to be very broad. And like you mentioned, it, it accommodates a lot of factors and it is in line with the Constitution. But in theory, is this actually being implemented in reality? Um, unfortunately, a lot of the structures that it creates um, are not all that effective. Um, the act itself is somewhat imperfect. I mean, if you look at the way that it treats, um, for example, um, people um, being involuntarily admitted in instances where the police is called, there are words used like apprehend and held, you know, which um, kind of um, construe more of a situation of um, you know, dealing with a criminal than someone in need of help. So the act itself isn't perfect. Um, but if you look at things like the mental health review boards, um, they are, um, you know, they're not particularly well situated and they're not given the ability to operate um, optimally. Um, if you look at um, how, um, if you look at the state of mental health in South Africa, it's very clear that um, the rights of mental health care users I mean, as a spouse, the acts are not being upheld. Hmm. And I mean, each year, the, the South African Federation for Mental Health supports a theme which is chosen by the World Federation for Mental Health. I believe this year the theme is young people and mental health in a changing world. Could you tell us more about this? Um, well, in um, today's world, um, young people are faced with a myriad of different issues, you know, from things like suicide, self-harm, social media, to other factors such as um, politics or um, traditional psychiatry versus modern medicine. And um, our aim has been to unpack those issues a little bit and to make policy proposals as to what can be built around them. Mm. So um, looking at, um, you know, how the state and indeed people in society can seek to protect the rights of young people in view of the issues with which they are faced. Mm. I mean, here at the University of uh, Witzvatersrand, we've had numerous cases of suicide, numerous cases of students who are severely depressed. I mean, what does the South African Federation for Mental Health then do in cases of young people who are seeking help in these institutions? Does your um, your policy agreements come into place in institutions of high learning? Well, um, we're an advocacy and lobbying group. Mm. Um, we um, have an information desk and we have a facility called Human Rights Watch, which serves um, as a means through which human rights violations can be reported. We're not an organization ourselves as a national office that provides direct services. Um, what we have instead um, is that we are constituted of 17 mental health societies across the country who would themselves provide the direct services to individuals in need. Mm. And just the last question for you. Uh, the Federation itself has developed a mental health app. Could you tell us more about the purpose of this app? Uh, well, the app is um, designed to share information and also um, you know, give people indications of where they can go for help. Mm. And how can one download it? Where can we get a hold of it? Um, you can get it off Google Play. And is it available as well for iPhone users? Um, I believe it is. Okay, awesome. And if someone was seeking to get a hold of the South African Federation for Mental Health, where could we find you guys? Um, you can find us on Twitter at SAFMH, um, on Facebook at South African Federation for Mental Health, or um, 
our website, um, safmh.org.za, or telephonically, um, 011-781-1852. Thank you so much, Nicole. My pleasure. That was Nicole Brainer from the South African Federation for Mental Health who unpacked the Mental Health Care Act for us. If you wish to know more about the Federation, you can follow the link which we've just posted on our Twitter page. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VALFM 88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus on VALFM 88.1. Point of information. There are several reasons why it is important to focus on students' mental health. This is sort of a development period for them as it is typically associated with psychological and social changes. Here at Wits, there has been a known number of two-student suicides. However, we never know if there could be more or what other issues students are dealing with. In fact, in South Africa, research suggests that there are as many as 12% of university students experiencing Experiencing anything from moderate to severe symptoms of depression and 15% report moderate to severe symptoms of anxiety. One study found that as many as 24.5% of a large sample of South African students reported some form of suicidal ideation in the two weeks before they were interviewed. These are alarming numbers and also just a very clear indication that mental health as well as its support systems are essentially not working. When it comes to this conversation, the best understanding of student mental health can only come from a student. And joining us here in studio is Neville van der Spain, the media officer for the Wits Law Student Council. Welcome to Law Focus, Neville. Thank you so much for having me, Veronica. So it's let's nice get straight into it. <laughs> let's get straight into it. So before we get into the topic, tonight. Could you tell us a little bit more about what the WITS Law Student Council is exactly? So the WITS uh, Law Students Council, the LSC, is a body of 12 or 13 elected officers. Um, We're elected by the students um, who seek to represent law students in particular, but WITS students in general's interests um, in a variety of projects, we each have a strat plan or strategic plan for the year um, made up of quarterly goals, which each offers tries to achieve so that we can help enhance and transform the law school. Mm. And the Wits Law Student Council hosts a series of talks, I believe, on Mental Health Week. Could you tell us more about that? So one of the general strategic plans of the entire council was to raise mental health awareness especially in an overtly politicized society. So the fantastic and brilliant Siposithe Mbuli, our Secretary General, decided to um, partner with the School of Economics and Business Sciences Council to host a Mental Health Week on the Tuesday, Thursday and Friday of early October's, one of the the school weeks. Um, We had a talk on... Um, the mental health of students in general, so more of a, a clinical psychology perspective, mm. then the mental health of students in relation to their academics and how they can allow those two things to coexist. Followed by that, we had a guided meditation on the Friday so that people people could sort of relax before um, the exam period came. That's amazing. And I know that's definitely not the only initiative you guys have when it comes to the awareness of mental health. What else do you guys do? So there's one other project, which is my own project. That is the Dumelang newspaper. It's a historical newspaper. I think the first one ran in 1932. 
known as De Minimis. Um, but since nine, I managed to obtain a copy from 1989. I oh, haven't wow. found anything since. Um, <clears throat> we renamed it as Dumelang and managed to obtain a sponsorship from Discovery Health, which was fantastic. And they insert a double page of mental health content for law students to read. Um, the first paper that we released in September spoke to anxiety attacks and um, panic attacks and that kind of thing, which I think is important because we underestimate how many students suffer with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. The second release um, dealt with depression and more it's sort of uh, clinical um, interpretation. It, it, I, I'm no uh, mental health expert, right? So I did a sub-major in psych. <laughs> but uh, one thing I have realized is because of, I think I think that it's because the, the law school is so politicized, we, we tend to forget there are people who genuinely gen, genuinely suffering um, from mental health conditions. And it, the same way we can easily identify someone with a broken leg, um, we should be able to identify these issues and pay more attention to the mental health of our students on campus. Absolutely. And when you talk about Dumelang, where can a person access this article? So this every newspaper? eight weeks we release a new edition of Dumelang that's during the school block. So the next one will only be released in February. Um, we send, if you're a law student on campus, you will get it automatically on your email and have the option of picking up a physical copy outside the law school on the launch day that we advertise to students. If you are not a law student or not a student in general, but you would still like to obtain a copy, we have a Google Drive link, which we share on all the Law Students Council social media. So if you go onto Facebook, that's Vitz Law Students Council, or if you go onto um, Instagram, that's Vitz LSE, or Twitter, it's Vitz underscore LSE. Now, you guys actually seem to go quite the extra mile to, you know, bring on this awareness of mental health issues. I mean, why? Why is, you know, the Law Student Council so invested in this? So it's it's complicated um, and, and quite deep, actually. The the motivation underpinning the, the platforms that we've tried to create is close to our hearts because there's students on the council who are suffering with these things. But I think... One of the the reasons we've decided to platform mental health is first and foremost, you have the opportunity to help people with a genuine illness. And secondly, by helping the people with the genuine illness, you also happen to help those who don't even have the condition themselves. An advantage to helping someone with a mental health problem is that by default, you also help the person whose mental health happens to be stable, but is also just dealing with a lot of stress in general. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were offering support to someone with a more sort of like physical condition, um, the support you offer to them would not necessarily also help someone who didn't have the condition. And that allows us to reach the student body as a whole in the law school in a much more effective way. Absolutely. And I just want to know from your personal opinion, what, you know, issues have you guys been able to outline that the University of Witwatersrand actually suffers with when it comes to addressing mental health? I think the first thing is communication. Mm. I was going through my emails the other day as an undergraduate student in my third year. I've received more than 3,000 emails from Wits University. Nobody has any idea of what's going on at any stage. And that creates a lot of pressure, conflict and confusion, which for those who are not mentally stable can be disastrous. I think a second thing that they can really work on is the, sincer the sincerity um, through which uh, staff and students communicate 
um, because over and above the lack of communication, when it does occur, it can be extremely tense. The other day I visited with a student on the law um, uh, school uh, sort of electorate to help her with a issue at the campus wellness center. And although I applaud the staff there for their service, the general environment was cold and relatively unfriendly. And I think that that can be improved. Mm, mm. Um, I'd have to think, I mean, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that Vits can do. But I think communication and sincere communication is something that they can really work on um, in relation to this issue. Also, practice, excuse me, practical information, right? So uh, mental health is often communicated in such an abstract and academic way that no one really knows what it's like, you know, what it actually is. And if, if you just communicate, that's what I love about Discovery's insert in Dumelang is it's straightforward, it's to the point, and it's genuinely helpful. You don't get confused by what you're reading and think that, you know, you need to reference sources or something like that. You know, you mentioned something that was very important, and that is the way mental health is communicated. Um, we had a guest psychiatrist on the line now, um, Dr. Malefe, and he mentioned that, you know, you need to look out for the mood swings that your peers might go through. You might also look at the way that they suddenly isolated from other people, and these are the signs that something could be happening. I mean, what happens then in an institution where, you know, you're not even a name, you're a number, mm. you're a student number, and you are in a pool full of large, large numbers of people. How do we then notice that this is someone that could need help? I think it's quite a difficult question to answer because it's kind of like the nature of just the globalized economy in general that an individual has to make themselves self-reflective enough to notice it because other people generally just, unfortunately, but it's the truth, don't care. Um, on our institution, I think what we can do to try and help people with genuine conditions, especially mental conditions, um, receive the support they need is cultivate a common identity between the students that surpasses other differences that they have so that you feel that you can share private information more easily. That may be able to help students with mental conditions um, speak out because it's incredibly difficult to do. It requires an act of bravery, but more so it requires sheer intelligence because most people with these conditions aren't really aware that they have them. Mm. You, you have to self-reflect on your own psyche and you use your psyche to do that. So to escape your psyche for a frame of reference using your own psyche is really difficult. And that's where I think that, that, that peer review, if you will, comes, comes into play and can be very helpful. And finally, how would you like the rest of other VITS societies and the respective bodies at large to assist in bringing forward this conversation of mental health issues? So I think two things should be done in that regard. First and foremost, the councils should eliminate the extent to which they emphasize political hierarchy in a bid to work together. The second thing they should do is not take mental health as an abstract issue. Unfortunately, when we have to stick exclusively to the facts, sometimes our progress is not as fast as it could be, but it's at least concrete. And as a law student, I think that's paramount. If we're going to deal with mental health on campus effectively, let's stick to the facts. Let's not allow some ulterior narrative, whether it's ethically minded or not, to overthrow what actually is. I think that's very important for the mental health progression on this campus. 
that said, it is being done. And Wits University can be applauded in many regards for the work that they are doing. And hopefully we can continue um, in this regard and improve even more so. All right. Thank you so much, Neville, uh, for joining us here on Law Focus. Once again, if we do need to get a hold of the Wits Law Student Council, how do we do that? So thank you very much for having me. Um, I've really enjoyed it. The ways in which they can contact us is first and foremost, they can email me, alice.media at students.vits.ac.za. Then they can contact us on Facebook, Vits Law Students Council, or they can contact us on Twitter at Vits underscore LSE, or even the newspaper itself at Dumelang LSE, or they can contact us on Instagram at Vits LSE. Absolutely. I have to agree with Neville here when he says that as a university, WITS is doing the most in getting students and staff members as well, all the support that they need. And it's incredible to see students as well as the institution just working so well. Law Focus, point, point of information. As we reflect on tonight's discussion, we spoke to Dr. Steve Mulefe from the More Life Health Associates, who defined mental health and also highlighted which health issues South Africans are predominantly faced with. We also then had a conversation with Nicole Bryn from the South African Federation for Mental Health, who informed us about the Mental Health Care Act of 2002. She also walked us through how the Federation aims to involve all mental health care users into society as free and social citizens of this country. Our last conversation was with Neville Funder Spain, who is the media officer for the Wits Law Student Council. He told us how the council aims to create awareness of mental health issues on campus. He also showed us how communication amongst students and the institution can create better conversations for mental health. Remember, if you do need to speak to someone here on campus, you can contact the Council Careers and Development Unit at 011 if you wish to seek help from outside of the institution, you can speak to the South African Depression and Anxiety Group at 011-234-4837. Remember, you are not alone. You're not suffering through something that cannot be assisted, that cannot be helped. The best way to beat mental health is to know more about it. Knowledge is power. So do your best to equip yourself, not just for you, but the people around you. From our producer, Bulali Diak, our technical producer, Gudrana Sarame, as well as our law focus researchers, Siabonga Mota, Millicent Indueni, and myself, Veronica Mahwadi. Thank you so much for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus on VowFM88.1. Point of information. Law Focus Podcast.